Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Verse 1, John 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, uh, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus, Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, um, it's most likely been several weeks. Some theologians says it's been a few days. Um, some theologians said it was probably weeks. If you go back to verse 54 of the previous chapter, you'll find that after he raised Lazarus from the dead, he went to a place called Ephraim. And um, it's most likely, I, I lean to the second, I lean to the fact that it was, it was weeks. Um, and so here he's back in Bethany, some weeks after he has raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, um, Bethany is a little village just about two miles east of, um, of Jerusalem. And when I stood in Mount of Olives back just a number of weeks ago uh, and faced towards Jerusalem, um, Bethany was just over my head like that there, just a little village um, a couple of miles east. And because it was a little suburb of Jerusalem, news would have traveled. This news of Lazarus is getting raised from the dead has not just hit Bethany. It's a bit like something happening in Downstown. Lurgan's not going to uh, be out of the loop there. So it just it spread through, and we'll see that in, in a moment or two. And so he's, he's back in Bethany. And they give a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot was one of the disciples. He who was about to betray him said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. It goes on in verse 9 to say that when the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom was raised from the dead. So, momentum has grown. Um, somebody's got raised from the dead. Obviously, it's created a bit of a stir, and people have come to see. People have come to see what's going on. Now, if you've traveled any extensive way in Europe in any shape or form, um, I just back um, a couple of weeks ago was over visiting my son in London, and um, when you go onto the London subway, you see this little sign everywhere, everywhere, mind the gap. Mind the gap. And obviously they think this gap is so significant. Somebody has obviously fallen down it at one stage or another. And they feel it's significant enough that they should warn people very, very significantly. So what happens is there's these yellow lines and it's painted on the ground. And then every time the, 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 the train is coming to a stop, you hear those words, please mind the gap. What they're saying is there's signs and warnings everywhere. They're saying, open your eyes, pay attention, be careful. If you don't, you'll fall into something. If you're not paying attention, if you pay attention, this can save your life. Basically, that's what they're saying. And sometimes there's things between me and God are really good. 
if you're like me. Sometimes things between me and God are really tight and really close. And other times it feels like he's way, way ahead of me and, and there's a gap. And sometimes I pray and God answers. And sometimes I pray and this happens. Ever happened to you? It happens to us all. And so what he's saying is, as we prepare for this new season, I believe that, that God has shown me some gaps in my life, and I, I, I sense he's shown me some gaps in our church life. Um, and the thing about it is, if, 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 if we lie about the gap, we will never experience victory over it. If we lie about the gap, if we, you will never experience victory over what you're not willing to tell the truth about. And, and if the devil can keep you in denial over what you, you want to get victory over, if he can keep you in denial over you, if you don't deal with your gap, you see, it'll become your grave. If you don't deal with the gap, it'll become your grave. And that's serious stuff. And so the first 11 chapters of John actually cover the whole ministry of Jesus. They cover basically three and a half years. Now, as we hit chapter 12, we, we're facing six days. The rest of the book of John will cover literally about six days, just a, a week or, or maybe just under a week. It's pretty, pretty intensive. So something's happening here. The next half of the book, as I say, um, concentrates on some really important things. So it gets really intense. And, and it's important to notice that as, as things tense up, polarizations begin to happen. Love and hate become more obvious. Belief and unbelief become more obvious when, when things sort of start to intensify. And between these two halves of the book of John, I'm going to suggest to you that there's a gap and God wants to show us how to bridge it in this story. It's important that, he, that we realize why he put this story right here. And I think he's trying to bridge a gap. He's trying to show us something. This is what I feel. And you already know that... that that Jesus Christ divides everything. You would know that. Jesus Christ divides history, B.C. and A.D. He divides humanity. You're either with him or you're against him. He divides destiny, heaven to gain, hell to shun. He divides families. He divides marriages. He divides friendships and associations. It says in that day when he comes, one will be taken, the other will be left. We know this. And so there has been no other person like Jesus who evokes such extremes. He, extre he, he evokes extremes of love and friendship and love and hatred and, and, and belief and unbelief. He, he evokes all these. And John is betraying this messianic king this is why this book is so important. This person, this king who would usher in the kingdom that will eventually restore righteousness and justice to the whole world. So it's pretty interesting. And what happened in, as the early church grew, I've taught you this before, that a thing crept into the church called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was a dualistic lifestyle. And what the Gnostics believed was that you could believe, as long as your belief was right, your lifestyle didn't matter. As long as what you believed was okay, it didn't actually matter how you lived. Now, can I suggest that, that that's not like that? Can I suggest that, um, sorry for my steps, but can I suggest to you that, that 
before God listens, he looks. And if you read the first seven verses of Isaiah 58, you will find this, that the church of Jesus Christ, uh, or Israel, the, the, the wife of God, as Israel was betrayed in the last half of, of Isaiah's prophecy, when they come to the temple in Isaiah 58, they pray and they're not heard. And they complain and they say to God, God, how come we come fasting? We come praying and you won't hear us. And God said, well, it's because of the way you lived last week. You see, he's saying, I, your, your, your lifestyle is speaking so loudly that I can't actually hear your prayers. And your fastings are in vain. Because every time you pray, you pray from a pedestal of your lifestyle. Every time you pray, every time you pray, I'm going to suggest this to you, that before God listens, he looks. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. And um, it's important that you know that. I'm not talking about being perfect. But, but if, if you don't understand that, here's a verse that I use sometimes in weddings. In verse Peter 3, 7, talks about husbands. Um, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives. Treat them as respect, with, as the weaker partner, as heirs with you uh, of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. <laughs> so Jesus is saying, Peter is writing here to husbands, and he's saying, husbands, the way you treat your, your wife actually affects your prayer life. So if you're beating her, you better quit. So it's really important. And so, now, now hear me in this. I'm not calling you to perfection. The Bible doesn't call us to perfection because there is no such thing as a perfect Christian and there's no such thing as a perfect person. We, we, but perfection has got to do with your faculties and there's no such thing as being perfect. But there is something about being blameless. And when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, in, Ephesus, in Ephesians 1, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. And then he says this, For he chose you in him before the foundation of the world that you might be holy and blameless in his sight. So as I say, um, perfection has got to do with your faculties. And I know some of you here think you are perfect, and some of you spouses think your wife or your husband thinks they're perfect. But you can nudge them right now and say, there you go. Even Phil says you're not perfect. Go and try that, you see. Um, blamelessness has got to do with the motives. Everyone ever do something with the right motive, but it turned out wrong. That ever happened to you? I, I, I have a friend who will remain nameless, and I have to be careful as I tell this story, who him and his wife were visiting another person's house. And um, they were offered their supper. And um, you don't see these much around now, but back a number of years ago, there used to be these little cups and saucers, and the saucer had a little plate out on the side of it. Anybody, anybody remember them? Come on, come on, give in. Oh, no, about four of you do. So, so there was a cup and a saucer, and the saucer had a little bit of an extended plate on it. And his wife admired these. His wife admired these, so he thought he'd be really smart, and he bought her six for her birthday. Um, and uh, um, if he thought he had earned any brownie points for that night, he was sore mistaken. So it was a, it was a, 
the action was not good. The motive was pure, but the action was not good. That's why the motive of our heart is so, so important. And so what I, what I want to talk to you about this morning in this act of worship is something so powerful that we need to grip it into our hearts because we need to understand this, that worship, worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle. And here's, here's what I want to say to you. What you do, I've talked to you about what you believe really matters, but what I want to say to you this morning is what you do really matters. What you do really matters. How you live this life really matters. Not looking for perfection. God's not looking for it either. But there is something about what you do that gets the attention of heaven. There's something about how you worship that grabs the, the, the coattails of heaven that heaven responds. And so this is why this story is really, really significant. Now, I want to give you five things this morning about a thing called outlandish worship. Outlandish worship, worship that goes out there, worship that takes us to a place that we've never been, we've been experiencing some of those little things, but there's more for us. And so the first thing I want to talk to you about is worship, outlandish worship is thankful. Outlandish worship is thankful. This, this, this story sets the stage, as I say, of the final week of Jesus' life here on planet earth. And, and Mary from Bethany creates for us an incredible example of worship. And she does it through dare and risk. Her heart is full of thankfulness for what Jesus has done for her. Um, and the raising of Lazarus, as I said, has created an immense stir in the whole of the city. And, and this little village is now, large crowds have bunged into this little village. And we could pick up this story, I should say as well. You can pick up this story in Matthew 26, you can pick it up in Mark 14, which I'm going to refer to a little bit because some of the renderings are a little bit better in Mark 14, and we refer to those as we go along. There's another similar story in Luke 7, but it's a totally different. Some of the theologians you'll read will, will match them all together and say this, is, this story's mentioned in all four Gospels. It's not. The Luke 7 one, take my word for it, um, please. The Luke 7 one is a different Mary completely um, and a completely different story. But Matthew 26 Mark 14 and John 12 are all about this incredible thing that happened. And so Mark 14 records that he's in Bethany, this little village, and, 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 and they've been invited to a house. They're actually not in Lazarus and Mary and Martha's house. They've been invited to the house of a man called Simon the leper. Mark 14 tells us that. Now, he's not a leper anymore because Jesus has healed him, but he was a leper, and they refer to him as Simon the leper. And when you would have come into a house, what would have happened? Um, your, your feet would have been washed by a servant. And then another servant would have took a little drop of perfume and he would have put it on your forehead. And the reason for that was basically to kill the odor of the day. They didn't have showers like we had. They didn't have roll-on deodorants and aftershaves and perfumes. And so they would have put a little spot of perfume, and that was to, as they would have reclined and eat at the table, that was to kill the odor of the day. And as they said, only men would have been reclining, and everybody else, all the females, would have been around the room, and they would have been listening. And while they're eating, quiet Mary 
sneaks in, takes a pound of, of ointment and begins to, this costly ointment, this, this ointment that would have cost a year's salary, Mark says the head, John says the feet. What, which is it? Well, it's simple, really. It was both. There's no doubt there was both. And so what she'd done was she, she, as the men reclined, they would have reclined on their left elbow with their feet out behind them, and she would have made her way up through the men, and she began, she snapped the top off this alabaster box, which was just like a light stone that you could see through, and she broke the top off it, and she poured it onto his hair. It would have ran down onto his beard. And then she, she backed down, and she began to pour it over his feet. <laughs> All of it. Now, one little drop, one little drop of this stuff would have filled the room, but, but something that would grab the attention of heaven rooted in utter thankfulness has just happened. I'm reminded of Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, praise his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not, here it is, all his benefits. And then the psalmist goes over all the benefits. Redeemed us from the pit, healed us, set our feet on a, on a new path. When was the last time that the Holy Spirit filled us in such a way of thankfulness pouring out from our hearts that we could say, God, thank you. Thank you for all the benefits. Now you'd wonder, what's going to happen now? This woman has just got her brother back from the dead, and she's so thankful. She's doing something really excessive, but not only is um, outlandish worship thankful, sometimes outlandish worship looks downright wasteful. And Laura, Lauren's laughing at me because Lauren gave me this word, well, over a year ago. I can't remember when, but it has never left me about wasting time in the presence of God, wasting our worship. Whereas the world would look on, they would think, what in the wide world are they doing? And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that she took this, about a, a, a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped her feet, his feet with her hair. Nard was a, a, a little root that grew in India, and they would extract this root from the ground, and they would press the the oil from the root from India, they would get this perfume and then they would transport it. They didn't have airplanes, so they would transport this literally by caravan from India right to the Middle East. So it was very, very expensive. And so it was very aromatic. Even a little drop would have filled the whole room. And, and as I say, it was a whole year's salary worth. And Mary snaps the top off. She could have poured a little, but she poured the whole lot. She drained it. It was outlandish. It was like she wasted the whole tub full. John's gospel gives us extremes in every chapter. And, and we see here that the disciples didn't understand her. And Judas Iscariot, whose heart was after money, who would betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, he, he remarks, why wasn't, it, why wasn't it sold and the money given to the poor? But Jesus knew the motive which prompted her, and he knew Judas's heart. He knew that Judas had chosen, he was self-chosen to be the treasurer so he could dip his hand in whenever he wanted. And although he wasn't the only one complaining because we pick up in Mark's pa passage that some of those present, they join in. So Judas starts the ball rolling. And then you know what happens when somebody says, well, it's a bit weird what they do down there, and the worship gets a bit excessive, you know, sometimes. And you know, 
the, the, other, the others gather in and the, some of those present, they are saying indignantly to one another. So he's gathering a little crew around him here and they're all given off. They're saying it could have been sold, given to the poor and they rebuked her harshly. And this woman realized that Jesus who had given all for her, she would give no less than all to him. And I love this next bit. I love it with all my heart. It says, Jesus says, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? It's like Jesus is saying, do these guys not get it? These guys not get what she just done? Are you missing the point? This, as we pick up on the rest of these verses in a moment or two, something just happened here. Now, I had a friend who went to a concert, and I'm not much into concerts, and I can't remember who it was, but he went to a concert, and he told me this story. He said that in the concert, there were really good seats and really bad seats. And he said there, was, there was, seemed to be no middle ground. You either had a really good seat or you had a really bad seat. And he said he got a really bad seat. And he said he was up in the back of beyond. And he said he looked down at the stage and he could barely see the guy. There was a big screen, but he, and he, he, said, he said, Phil, I began to envy. began to envy the people down at the front. And I thought, you know, this is a waste of money. And he said that as the concert went on, and the, the person performed, he began to, he said he began to get more and more just, just discouraged about why he'd come to this concert. And then he said about halfway through the concert, something happened. He says this stage rose up out of the back of the hall where he was sitting. And he said the guy who was in, in the concert, I think it was Bono maybe, and he had disappeared off backstage. And all of a sudden, he says this stage rose up in the back of the room. And all of a sudden, he said, the people in the bad seats were in the good seats. And the people in the good seats were now in the bad seats. And he said, for the next half of the concert, he was sitting there looking straight into the guy's face. That's exactly what happened here. This woman who crept in, who wasn't really allowed in this circle, Jesus is great at this. Jesus is great at changing stages. He's great at bringing people to prominence out of the background. He's great at raising people up who are insignificant. Those who are unlearned and ignorant men, the Bible says, he raises them up. That's what grace does, you see. Grace raises up, and this is what happens. Now hear me in this. Now hear me in this. Please, don't shoot me. The church has a massive social responsibility. We have, and we're going to do that this morning. Massive. And we need to look after the poor. And we need to speak for those who don't have a voice. But listen, first and foremost, we're called to worship. First and foremost, it's our number one thing, prioritizing the presence. And I sense, I sense that we've got a few little gaps. And sometimes we can get so disorientated and we get into do, 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 we forget to be, be, be. And we're called human beings, not human doings. This is what happens. Worship, prayer must be the heartbeat of our priority. It must be the centerpiece, our personal devotion to Jesus. If without that, we just become another agency to alleviate the social injustices. That's all we become. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But there's first, there's first and foremost something that gives us a thrust. Something that gives us a power and an anointing and a voice that no other agency or no other organization has. And if we miss this, we miss everything. We miss the lifeblood. And, and, and look at what Jesus says. 
He understands what she's doing. He, he understands her life has been touched and transformed. And all she knows to do is give Jesus all that she has. And the world doesn't get that. When I was leaving the family business back many, many years ago, I went to speak to some mentors and some really good close friends to ask advice. And all of them, all of them bar none, said to me, Phil, don't do it. Don't sell your birthright for a bowl of stew. That was the common one they said. Don't give up your inheritance. And I had an encounter with God. I not go into the detail, but I had an encounter with God where God spoke to me and said, Phil, you're looking at your wrong inheritance. You need to lift your eyes. You need to lift your eyes. I, I read a story recently of one of the old Moravian missionaries back hundreds of years ago, and God gave him a passion for slave trade. And he went to try and minister to the slaves, and he couldn't get near them. They wouldn't let him near him. So what did he do? He sold himself as a slave. He sold himself as a slave and he went on to the slave ship and when the slave ship was pulling out of the harbor, he was heard to cry out, for the Lamb and for the glory of God. And the world looks on and they say, what a waste. The world looks on and says, what a shame. The world looks on and says, that's stupid. And Jesus says, you have done something beautiful for me. There's something different about us. Has to be. There's some, if, we, if, we, if we just come like the world, then we've missed it. We've got to be different. Let me ask you, when was the last time you poured out your heart in a way that the world wouldn't understand? Outlandish worship starts with thankfulness. It can be seen as wasteful. Sometimes it can be just downright undignified. Downright undignified. Here's what happened. Look at the story. She, she wiped, she loosed her hair, she let her hair down. Some of the rabbis in this day actually would say that for a woman to reveal her hair in public, a husband could divorce her. <laughs> Mary's taking a risk. She's letting her hair down in public. As a, uh, uh, it's, it's, she could have been so misunderstood, especially in a little village like this. Um, she, she, she not only showing her her, but she's using her her, and everyone is looking on shocked. There's a place in outlandish, outlandish worship where it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, because it's about you and him. And at this moment in Mary's life, it was just her and him. She didn't care about who else was at the table. She didn't care about the large crowds that had gathered around. It was just her and him, and, and she loved Jesus so much. She was going to worship him with all her heart, all her soul, all her life. This is just about you and me, Jesus and I'm going to say to you, if worship requires you getting on your knees, if worship requires you falling flat on your face, listen, let's do it. And let's not chat about whether you like the style or not. We, we, it's not worship isn't about our preferences. Worship is about Jesus. It's about exalting his name and lifting him high. Thankful, wasteful, undignified. It's an intercession that reveals the secrets of heaven. It's an intercession. People complain, not, not so much now, but back a, a couple of years ago, we had some people who complained about our, our prayer meeting, said, I came to pray and all you seem to do is worship. And they missed the fact that worship is an intercession. And we do pray, but worship is an intercession. Something happens. Ian Hannah talked about going to Cambodia and, and setting up worship centers in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the big um, 
shopping centers and lifting worship unto God and all of a sudden things would begin to happen. Slave trades would begin to show themselves. What was happening? Because the worship was rising as an intercession and heaven responds to worship. Heaven responds to worship. And what happens is it begins to reveal truth. Here's what Mark says. Mark's a little bit, bit of a better rendering. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. Now, this is important. And I have about seven minutes left, and I want to fire through this really quick. Mary had understood what none of the rest of the disciples had fully taken in, that Jesus must die. Mary had got this. Now, now can I tell you this, that three times over, Matthew 20 records this, three times over, Jesus had told all the disciples clearly that he was going to die, that they would take him, they would nail him on a cross, and the third day would rise again. Three times he had told them distinctly, but it went right over their heads. Mary had got it. It had latched in. She she realized that this was the representative of man. He was the sin bearer. Mary stood as the offerer of the offering. I love that. She was offering the offering before it's time. This is beautiful. She, the, the, Jesus reveals things to true worshipers. And, and there are things that can only be revealed in true intimacy. Now hear me in this. Forgive me, please. But if you're married in here, there are things that, that's revealed under the marriage covenant and intimacy that's never revealed anywhere else. And sex in marriage becomes so intimate and so powerful and we often say in the marriage course, it's not the cherry on the cake. It's a basic ingredient in the cake. And as it is in our marriage, so it is in worship. Listen to what I found this verse in the message version in Psalm 25, 14. God, friendship is for God. Worshippers, they're the ones he confides in. What a verse. <laughs> what needs, you can't get it any clearer than that, friends. Mary understands in a few days Jesus is about to break the flask of his body for her, so she's going to break the flask of her perfume for him. She can't halt his death, but she's going to prepare him for his burial. This is outlandish worship. This is a woman who knows. She sees what no one else sees because she sees she has total intimacy with her Savior, you see. She's got into a place of worship. She sees Calvary. She sees this man dying on a cross for her. She sees the troubled nature of a soul in this moment that night, and she pours on him the only thing that he would take to the cross with him. Five days later, he would hang on a cross And that smell would still be on his body. She knew what she was doing. And she sees what's going on. So outlandish worship is thankful. It sometimes looks wasteful. Sometimes it looks undignified. But it unlocks the secrets of heaven. And lastly, as we conclude this, it's acknowledged by the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Acknowledge it. Here's what he says, Mark 14. He says, truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Jesus wants everybody to know about this. Isn't it funny? Jesus didn't say, what about feeding the 5,000? That was pretty cool. Out of a kid's lunch. He didn't say about raising the widow's son. He didn't even say about raising Lazarus. I want everybody to know about this. Those are all pretty cool things. He didn't say, look, whenever you're preaching the gospel, make sure you tell everybody I walked in water. He says, no, no. Every time you preach the gospel, he said, I want you to tell people about outlandish 
worship because personal devotion to God delights him. Personal devotion to God delights him. So I in the in the tabernacle in the holy place they had the showbread, they had the the incense altar, they had the candlestick. And this table of showbread would be changed and refreshed day and daily. But there was no oven in the tabernacle. The the bread was baked at home, you see. (laughs) The bread was baked before they came. Some people come to church and say, well, I didn't get much out of that. Mm. But did you bake any bread at home? Oh, this is challenging stuff. Challenges my soul. I didn't sleep very well last night, I can tell you. And woke in the wee hours when it was still dark and crawled down the stairs to get a cup of tea and try and get myself awake. Why? Because this challenges the soul. This challenges our hearts. This challenges our hearts because personal devotion delights him. And there's something about a person who is sold out. And there's something about a church that is sold out. And as we go into September, I want this church to be a church that's sold out. I want to be a church that I want it to be a church that knows how to mind the gaps. Knows how to not run over here, make sure we're doing all this, and then make sure we get all this done. And the prayer meeting having time for that because I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Worship is a lifestyle. And what you do really matters. And so in this season, Stevie, you want to come and we'll finish with a song. Can we mind the gaps that would divert us from worship? Can we mind the gaps that would divert us from the prayer meeting? Can we mind the gaps that would suck us dry and drain us out and throw us in the pile? Can we mind the gaps that could become our grave? Because that's the danger. And in London, as in other places, they think it's serious enough to warn you every single time, every single time. I think it was about 12 or 13 stops from where I got on the train at Stansted, who I got to Philly, and every single stop, please mind the gap, 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 please, will you mind the gaps? Will you stand with me as a church? Let's stand. Can we acknowledge this morning we're going to mind the gaps? We're going to be a church that does first and foremost what we're called to do, to devote ourselves to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, and seek Him first. Tells us when we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all other things, all, all other things. (laughs) It doesn't get any simpler than that. But we worry about the all. And then we we squeeze God time into the quick prayer before we go to bed or, or somewhere else in the day or maybe it's not even every day it's every other day with Jesus and we're so busy looking after the all we miss the first <laughs> seek him first seek him first seek him first seek him first God I pray that we become a church that Emmanuel will be known as a church that seeks him first 
not just because it's on the wall, not just because it's a statement that we can readily run off our tongue, but because our, it's a lifestyle. It's something that we can't hide. It's something that we come out into the open. You can't hide. When you're abiding, there's no hiding. When you're abiding in Christ, there's no hiding. You can't hide it. It's contagious. It gets on other people around you. So God, I pray that we will be people who abide, 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 abide in Jesus' name. Let's worship and we'll pray when our time's over. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.